All right, all right. And good morning, Calvary family. Uh, we are here continuing this study from the book of Hebrews. And whenever you come to the scriptures, you need to come with an understanding of context, concept, and construct. Context, what's going on? Why was it written? The concept, what is it about the way God thinks that replaces the way we would naturally think because God's ways and thoughts are above our ways and thoughts? And then we all always need to go on to construct. How do we use this truth to build our lives in a way that's going to honor God? So this morning, we're taking the next in this uh, unfolding story of the book of Hebrews. And Noah's going to read for us from the text that we're looking at today. Get your Bible from Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at the first 11 verses. Awesome. Well, welcome, everybody. We're really excited. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, today's topic of rest, man, um, I've, I've been thinking about this for the last week or so as Bob and I have been unpacking it. And we're so excited to really show you what he really means by rest here. So let's, let's read carefully and put our heart into it. Um, we're going to go, we're reading out of the um, NIV. I'm going to start in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we have also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said, so I declared on my oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And that on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set on a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David as he was said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore, listen, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that one will fall by following uh, their example of disobedience. Bob, let's unpack it. This is a great book written to... Jews that had become Christians. And most likely it's uh, believed that it was Jews that were living in Italy, uh, near Rome, near the head of the Roman Empire. And these were people who were living at a time before the destruction of the temple. Probably the book was written in the middle to the late of the 60s in the first century. These were people that were already disparaged because of their ethnic identity as Jews. But then even within that tight community, they had stepped out to become followers of Jesus. And talk about a minority of the minority within a larger cosmopolitan arena. 
And some of them had come to a place where they were wondering whether they had stepped into the wrong flow where maybe it was time to go back into their identity as Jews. So the book was written to challenge them to stay with the faith that they had embraced in Christ. Their Jewish faith was like most any religion, except it was founded on the truth of God from the time of the first or the original, what we know as the Old Covenant. It was a series of declarations about how to live rightly, and we know from the New Testament truth that the law was given to us to make us long for a solution that God provided in Christ. It was our schoolmaster to bring us to a place of understanding God's righteousness and the fact that we could never achieve it. Mm -hmm. For the Jews, the rabbis had gone back into the Torah, the Old Testament first five books, and in their rabbinical way had found 613 orders, 365 orders of what not to do and 248 orders of what to do, and that codified framework of do's and don'ts had become the practical manifestation of the Jewish faith. It had become a system of rules and it had created in it what religion always creates, which is rule followers. Mm -hmm. Religions vary based on who wrote the rules. And whether you are a practicing Jew, whether you are a Muslim or a Mormon, whether you are a Hindu or a Buddhist, someone wrote your rules and following those rules makes you religiously adept at demonstrating your spirituality. And for Jews, they had defined themselves by the law. They had become rule followers. Uh, They elevated themselves in their community based on how well they followed those rules. And the Lord Jesus came to create a shift that to go from rule followers to Jesus followers, to become defined by a relationship instead of a religion. And the book of Hebrews was written to Christians who had emerged from a Jewish background to challenge them to stay with what they had discovered in Christ. The book over and over and over again challenges with the fact that Jesus is the better solution. Mm. It was how the best that they could have apart from Jesus, which was the Jewish faith, could become even better. And over and over again, the writer refers to things that were common knowledge for the people that were practitioners of the Jewish faith. Uh, One of the things that they had in common was an understanding of the concept of Sabbath. And in this passage this morning, the writer's looking at this concept of Sabbath and saying, God referred to Sabbath in the first chapter of the book of Genesis, the seventh day rest from his creation. But then he takes the concept of Sabbath and brings it to the point at which the Jordan is before them, where the Jews taken out of Egypt, out of bondage, led by Moses, they get to the Jordan River. And then faced with the fact that there are giants in the land, that Mm -hmm. there are people opposing their achievement of all that God had promised, their unbelief took over. And they stepped back into following rules instead of following God. And God twice is quoted in this passage. I I love the fact that the writer of Hebrews uh, is referring to common understanding among his readers and recognizes that the citation twice 
of God's direct statement that David records in Psalm 95 that it was a belief problem when they came up to the Jordan River and refused to go across. Why? Because the rest of God was being uh, held for them in the promised land that the wilderness was the place where religion would define them, that God's promises were waiting on the other side of the Jordan River. Mm -hmm. The symbolism is powerful. We've understood the Jordan River to represent through the example of Jesus. The model of baptism into a new way of life, that the old approach is dead and the new approach has taken its place. And for the Jews, there were two million of them on the edge of the Jordan they had the potential to go across and go in. And yet because of unbelief, they shrunk back and they stood apart from God and his promises. And David quotes God from that time, 1700 years before, when they declared they would not go over the Jordan, they would not enter into the rest that God had for them. Now it's fascinating to me, Noah, that The rest didn't mean that they were going to move into the promised land and never have to work again. What it meant was that the work that they would do would be about building on the faith that had put them there. That all of God's promises, that they would enter his promise of land and abundance and his partnership with them, they left it on the ground and they lived instead in the wasteland of Sinai. So close. And we're faced with the same thing if we choose to hold on to rule keeping rather than Christ following. Mm. And that argument was a powerful one. This morning, we've titled this conversation that this is rest. It's not retired, it's refreshed. Totally. We're not out of business in terms of doing good things, but instead of working for salvation, we're working from salvation. Mm -hmm. That we're not trying to achieve a relationship with God. We're beginning with a relationship with God. No, I grew up, as you did, in a church system where it was always a temptation to fall into following the rules. Oh, yeah. My family of origin looked at their faith experience far more based on what you did and didn't do. Yeah. We weren't rabbinical, right. but we might as well have been. Totally. Because it was all do's and don'ts. And the freshness that I found through the influences in my life, many of them here at Calvary, helped me to discover that the breakaway from that was to live out of faith, not to try to live apart from and trying to go toward faith. Oh, yeah. What's your experience been with this? Well, uh, a lot like yours. (laughs) Came out of, of, uh, you know, a a childhood here in Calvary and and being raised in Orange County, and my life was performance-based. Christianity for me and a relationship with God were two different, were separate things. If I was going to be about God, it was going to be about rules. And I was this type A driven um, achiever. I was wired that way. God built that into my DNA. But I thought that that's the, the better, the better guy I was, the more I performed, the more he's going to love me. And the more that I could earn, the more that I would be able to earn his love and he would be able to love me back. And grace, that rest that we come into for what Christ has done for us through salvation, what do you do once that's taken care of? Do we truly enter into that rest of I am a child of God and as a result of what he's done for me, I can use my life as an act of worship back and now my performance or achieving or works isn't out of a basis to earn anything 
of his love and his grace and salvation for me. It's about as an act of worship back for what he's done for me. So I, I have this on a very practical level of how we can actually put this into play into our own life. And for those of you that are watching uh, at home, I, I know that rest doesn't even sound anything that we can like tap into right now with the chaos that's outside. Mm. Just this last week, on top of everything that we've been going through with the pandemic, there's all this injustice and like Instagram, everything's blowing up. Everybody's in a rally. And I'm like going, hold on, let's pull up to an 80,000 foot view of what does God have to say about rest? What does he have to say about Sabbath? There's three specific things that I want to I want to unpack here for us. Rest, one, is an awareness. We have to choose to be aware of this. Mm -hmm. Because of what he's done for me, what am I doing? I, I become what I eat. Am I in his word on a daily basis? Am I around other believers? If it wasn't for mentorships like you, Bob, in my life and the men here at Calvary Church, I wouldn't be able to have that awareness of the bigger picture of what God wants to do with my life. Number two, outside of awareness, it's a choice to live from that awareness. Today, we get an opportunity to choose whom we will serve. Mm. Idols of man, idols that we create, money, you, you name it. We got plenty to choose from down here. But today, will we choose to live from the grace and the rest that we've entered into through salvation in Jesus Christ? Is that our modus operandi? Like, do we operate from that? Number three, it is the reason for living as an act of worship. Romans 12.1, Paul articulates this clearly, and, and you and I unpack this. This is, this is our verse, man. Um, Paul in the message version says, as a result, basically what he's saying here is, as a result of this rest and the Sabbath that you've entered into with me, what are you going to do with your life? And Paul basically saying, as a result of what God has done in my life, he got my attention. He blinded me. And now I see and I'm awake. I'm aware of what he's done for me. There's nothing I can do to earn this grace. It is his gift, unmerited. He says this. Paul says, so here's what I want you to do. This is our application, you guys. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. I want you to take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work. And you're walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what he has done for you is the best thing that you can do for him. We're operating on a rest right there. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, I mean, isn't that Instagram and all the social media? Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. What does he say to do? Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out and readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you develops well-formed maturity in you. You guys have heard this verse so many times about rest. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you what? Rest for your soul. A nap, sleep, vacation, nothing is going to cure what your soul is longing for. If your soul is tired, it's something that sleep can't cure. Entering into God's rest of his grace through salvation for what he's done for us, we spend the rest of our time, talent, and treasure being offered as an offering back to him for what he has done for us. 
That's how I see it. That's what's happened to me as a result of it. And Bob, I just got to tell you, when I think about the awareness, the choice to live from it, and it's the reason as an act of worship back for what he's done for us, that really helps me see things through an eternal perspective and a biblical worldview compared to all the racket and noise of what's coming at us. Sabbath for me is that awareness and to live from that awareness on a daily basis. That's so great. Boy, the writer of Hebrews knew the slippery slope that we all live on. Mm. He was speaking specifically to people who kept experiencing this temptation to be drawn back into religion. Yeah. Because you can keep score. Totally. Uh, you can have a list of do's and don'ts and know how you think you're doing, but uh, God invited us to step up, totally. step beyond yes. the religious framework and to enter into a relationship. Yeah. On Thursday, I was asked to co-host a uh, web uh, Zoom experience with uh, about two dozen influential Christian leaders around the country. And mm -hmm. another ministry leader and I were asked to be the interviewers for a fairly well-known uh, political figure. You would know his name or his face if I were to violate that confidence and mention it. He's a man who is a political consultant and a frequent face on uh, some of the well-known national networks uh, talking about political issues. But in January of this year, he experienced a uh, medical emergency that could have ended his life and um, surviving it, it could have meant a career ender. Mm. As we unpacked um, his perspective about where we are today and what's going on, but as we were able to dive into the personal side of it as well, yeah. it was fascinating talking about his, um, his face off with um, would his life go on and would he have capacity in that space. I asked him in the midst of all of this um, political challenge of an election year yeah. and all of the battle that's going on today, mm. he's, he has lived behind the curtain where the sausage is made, as they would say. Yeah. Um, how in the world, I asked him, do you find hope in the midst of all of that? Mm. Now, he's Jewish by birth, yeah. but uh, by his own definition, he's uh, not a good Jew. And what he meant by that, and he smiles as he said it, is that he has a hard time keeping all the rules. Yeah. But as we talked and I, as I asked him, where do you find the source of, how do, how do you find hope in all of this? Mm -hmm. He said, I've been thinking a about that a lot. And what I de de determined finally, I find hope in my relationships. I said, where do you find those relationships? He said, they're relationships that still cared about me, even though I was no longer currently of value because of my medical emergency. Mm. He named three names. He said, Kevin McCarthy, Congressman from Central California, yeah. Tim Scott, yep. Senator from South Carolina, yeah. and Mike Pence, the Vice President from Indiana. Yeah. He said those three men, their relationship with him have been the source of hope. I said, why? He said, at the point where I had nothing to offer, nothing of value, they still valued me. And he said that it wasn't just that they said that. He said Kevin called him every day for two months mm. to encourage him. Yeah. He said he found himself with Kevin in a car drive from Los Angeles to Bakersfield. And he said he had his Bible open in his lap yeah. reading passages. Yeah. He said, Tim Scott from South Carolina, a, a wonderful black senator who is the embodiment of, 
uh, the American dream yeah. has been a source of great outspoken hope for him. He said, based on sharing truth from scripture yeah. and Mike Pence with his uh, unquestioned commitment as a follower of Jesus. And I was fascinated with the fact that here's a man who sees himself as part of this Jewish community that Hebrews was written to, right. but not a good Jew by his definition because he wasn't a good keeper of the rules. Right. But his source of hope was from three men who as friends yes. were sharing with them the hope that is sourced in Jesus. That's right. Boy, friends, whether we're listening to the writer of Hebrews this morning or whether we're listening to a man who's related to the recipients of this book from 2,000 years ago, yeah. the story's the same. We don't find hope from religion. We don't find hope from following the rules. Yeah. We find hope from following Jesus. That's right. That it's no longer about uh, a checklist and hoping that God will open the door for eternity in heaven for us. Instead, it's about having a confidence, a rest. That doesn't mean that we retire from good works. What it means is that we're now in a place where from an abundance of hope, we are doing the good things right. that a list of do's and don'ts would have never accomplished. Totally. But the relationship with Jesus makes it possible every day of our lives right. to be able to please God and find our capacity to be purveyors of hope in the midst of a generation. And we're in touch with our generation. We know how desperately we're in need of hope as a culture today. Mm -hmm. But the truth is there has never been a generation that didn't need hope. There's never been a moment in 2000 years right. when the good news of the gospel has not been the solution for whatever has been on the table yeah. as the current crisis yeah. that cannot be resolved by following rules. Right, I'll just, I'll just say this, Bob, Monday morning, we have a choice when we wake up. We have a choice to say, am I going to operate out of grind and grinding my way through this, looking at culture, or am I going to operate out of his grace? Am I going to be operating from that rest, and that's a rest that's available to us, that have our faith and our security in Christ? And as a result of that, I could not think of anything. I don't have control over any of the circumstances. As believers, we there is constantly going to be trouble. The Lord told us that. And when I think about what we get to choose to do tomorrow, bearing fruit, not to earn something from him, his love, but to do it out of an act of worship back and so exciting. I can't do anything about the problem outside. But what I do have control over is providing that hope, that rest, and bringing as many people into the fold of that love. You in your living room tomorrow, your assignment this week at your job underneath the roof of your home, we have an opportunity to be that fragrant offering back, operating from a place of rest. And people are going, how are you so cool, calm, and collected? Because we have a hope that is everlasting, that is constant, that never fails, that is in Christ, in Christ alone. That's it. So as the writer of Hebrews told his readers, mm. Jesus is better than angels, better than Moses, better than the Aaronic priesthood. Yep. Uh, the new covenant was better than the old. Everything about our faith it doesn't denounce the Old Testament model as bad. What it says is that the solution found in Jesus is better. Mm. And today, uh, we get to embrace that, don't yep, we? We absolutely. get to recognize that we're not working into salvation. We're working out of salvation. That's right. Gives us a rest from the despair and uncertainty that 
is found in religion or is found in people who have rejected religion as a list of do's and don'ts because they don't buy into that. Totally. We don't either. <laughs> totally. We're here today declaring that we've moved on from religion. We've crossed the Jordan. We've now embraced the faith that gives us hope. Amen. And it gives us the reason to work from that strength oh, yeah. in a way that says Sabbath buys us the ability not to retire, right. but to be refreshed, Amen. renewed and working from a position of strength. Mm. Join us in that this week, would you? And plan to be with us again next week mm -hmm. as Calvary once again embraces the understanding that God has put everything we need to know yep. for life and godliness into his word. And we're gonna be doing that all week long. We're gonna be offering it in a variety of ways. We're gonna be talking about it again as we gather in this way next Sunday Amen. to be the church scattered, yep, no but joke. to be the church who is not just going to church, yep, being the but church. we're being the church. That's, that's right. Pray with me, would you, as we end this teaching time. God, thank you that you are the God who dwells in eternity. You are the God who lives forever. You are the God who has invited us into your family and to experience life on your terms, not ours. God, you've placed in the heart of man mm -hmm an awareness that something greater than ourselves has to be identified and served. And religion is man's best effort to find God. Religions battle over who wrote the rules and once accepting the authorship, how somehow they could live by those rules. God, forgive us for being uh, sort of uh, drawn back into our humanness. Mm -hmm. Whenever we think we can somehow uh, meet some standard or follow some checklist. Help us to be followers of Jesus, not followers of rules. Mm. Help us to be finding in our personal experience the freedom, the power, the hope that comes from you coming in the person of your son to redeem us and to bring us across the Jordan yep. and into the land flowing with milk and honey spiritually. But our reality is that experience this week as we live from that hope. And we pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Pastor Eric.